Hey, this is Danny with the all-new, all-awesome podcast, and I am here with a very special guest today, Brian Grabo. Brian, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hello, everyone. Hey. Uh, so, yeah, we were trying to uh, figure this out from a technical perspective. It was a little bit complicated, but I think we got it working. So, yeah, glad everyone is here. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to Brian. Uh, Brian has been a longtime friend here in LA. We were NBC Pages together uh, back in the day. And uh, Brian is also, I, would, I think it's fair to say, a uh, movie and TV uh, connoisseur, if you will. Yeah, I would uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, you know, live in the uh, pop uh, culture entertainment of the world. And also, I think uh, Danny and I have been going to Comic-Con for, what, 10, over 10 years straight now, minus the last year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we've been uh, stuck at home and, um, you know, no conventions. Uh, a lot of our, of our annual traditions uh, with our group of friends have not happened recently, unfortunately, but hopefully this year we'll be back. Absolutely. It, uh, going to, uh, being able to go out to movies to see the latest and greatest, whether it's a, you know, a giant action movie, like trying to like seeing, uh, Kong vs. Godzilla would have been awesome to see in IMAX or seeing, uh, more of a serious, uh, drama. It would be great to see, you know, get back to theaters eventually. And also, you know, going to, uh, comic-con uh to see uh, uh all these panels for all the comics that we uh, love to read and tv shows that we enjoy and to hear the actors talk about them yeah um so i i wanted to have you on this episode because i was uh thinking about things to talk about and i realized that um we'll talk about this more in a minute but dc comics has been having their big kind of uh, future state event that is about to come to a close. I believe this week is the, is the final week of comics uh, that are part of this event, but it's been going on for the last couple months. So um, I think that there's a lot to talk about there. Um, but before we get to that, I had a couple of topics I was curious to ask you about. Um, first of all, I just wanted to ask about WandaVision. Um, so we won't spend too much time on this. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast, but I mean, Brian, obviously you've been watching WandaVision and I think enjoying it, right? Oh, it's been fantastic. Everybody from Elizabeth Olsen to Paul Bettany. And I got to give a special, uh, special shout out to Catherine Hahn. I think she is the, uh, the game changer, uh, in more ways than one. And, she should probably uh, get an award for her uh, performance so far. But all the kind of references to past uh, shows from Malcolm in the Middle to The Office to 50s and 60s sitcoms, uh, it's been fantastic. And I like it. It's been uh, kind of like a slow build from the beginning, but the world building that they've done has been fantastic. Um, and I definitely don't want to forget uh, Monica Rambeau. 
Uh, she's uh, been great in it, and I think we're going to see her in the much larger uh, MCU as uh, the years go forward. Yeah, it seems like they're planting a lot of seeds with this show for kind of what's to come. I mean, um, and and spoilers ahead if you're not caught up in the show, but uh, you know, it, it feels like this show is sort of really introducing the concept of the multiverse to Marvel, which uh, it, it's interesting because this show kind of has introduced that concept potentially. And then I know uh, the next Spider-Man movie, which they just announced the name for uh, today is uh, Spider-Man Phone Home. Um, it sounds like that's going to deal with the multiverse. And then also Doctor Strange, I believe it, it's called like, uh, you know, the madness of the multiverse or something that, to that effect. Um, uh, so it sounds like that's sort of setting the stage for what's to come with the MCU. Yeah, that's, I, I, cause uh, I wasn't able to see the title of it today, but if that's the actual title, that's kind of hilarious. Um, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see cause rumors are that they're going to have, um, all the previous Spider-Men, uh, showing up. Um, it'll, uh, it'll be interesting and i don't know you know we can speculate for days with wandavision but there could you know be a chance that uh you know at the there's two more episodes left and uh you know doctor strange could show up there's uh again spoiler the uh um catherine hunt's character uh a um agnes she may just be a foot soldier for a much uh, bigger bad uh, guy down the road uh, named Mephisto. So uh, we'll see what happens, but I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, obviously that ending of this past week's episode with the whole, like, uh, it was Agatha all along uh, reveal and the whole song and everything. I mean, everyone's been talking about it. It's super catchy. And, uh, I mean, it was just such a fun reveal. And I think, to your point, like, Catherine Hahn part of why she's so great on the show is that she um, has played like, you know, all these different sort of variations of, of her character. And she's somehow capable of being like the funny sitcom throwback character. She's been like, you know, kind of the character who knows that something is a bit amiss or not quite right. And now she's sort of the ultimately revealed as, as the villain, which she seems like she's also going to do a great job with. So, it's like she's really doing it all on on this show. Oh, absolutely! And uh, in Elizabeth Olsen, it's been very interesting to see how her character has kind of uh, being, you know, kind of woken up from this spell, especially with last week's episode where she's staring at the camera, all a modern family, but she's saying, "I'm fine. I'm fine." <laughs> yeah. I'm, it definitely, I don't know that there's that many, like the, the, the way that all the main actors are pulling off sort of doing the parts of the show that are jokey and kind of a parody, but also layering in like the more serious um, and dramatic parts is pretty impressive. I feel like everyone's just really knocking it out of the park. Oh, completely agree. And also in even their commercial interludes, I but you have to read up more on them, but at each one, I feel it is building to something larger. Like from the very first one with the Tony Stark toaster, like that, you know, that thing going off could have been like his bombs from his past life. 
and even the yo magic weird claymation thing, which, uh, you know, is pretty frightening on multiple levels. But uh, all, of the, uh, all of those add uh, something to it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it, it's honestly, I think it's uh, one of the best TV shows, period, that we've seen in the last several months. And uh, it's going to be hard to top, I think, for any future Marvel show because, you know, I think like Falcon and Winter Soldier, you know, it looks good. But I think it's almost going to be like, like if it's a more straightforward Marvel kind of like a, a long Marvel movie type of thing. I'm sure it'll be cool, but it'll, it'll almost to me, I think feel like a little bit of a, um, like I'll be wanting more of WandaVision, which has been so like subversive and um, just different than what you might expect from, from the MCU. So I hope we get more shows that are kind of like quirky and uh, just subvert your expectations a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, because WandaVision has multiple uh, layers to it. And even uh, Vision is having this uh, kind of identity crisis where he, he's been told, um, you died, so uh, I don't know how you're still alive here. And whereas uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm pretty sure uh, Daniel Brühl is coming back as uh, Baron Zemo. And, and if they can have more of like kind of like a winter soldier type feel to it, that could be really interesting. Um, but uh, we'll see what comes. And it's interesting because there's only a week off between the end of WandaVision and then the start of uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. And it's funny because I feel like this has been a hot topic on Twitter and social media. But um, I mean, I've been saying this forever, I feel like. But just the fact that WandaVision similar to the Mandalorian, um, you know, is one episode per week. It does to me just add so much to the experience. Like if this all came out at once, I know a lot of people would have been happy to just binge it in one sitting, but I feel like there's such a, uh, it's such a lost art, I guess, in the world of streaming of having a show where every individual episode kind of gets people talking and is memorable. Um, I feel like, that's been a real fun to watch and what like one new episode per week. Yeah. And I would say having that one new episode, that's, you know, the equivalent of the water cooler talk on uh, Monday. If, if we were back in uh, offices, uh, but you, I mean, you can read for days online, you know, the day of when it comes out and throughout the weekend, all these, you know, Oh, did you catch this and that? And, uh, and I know for me personally that I retain more of watching one episode a week instead of just you know, sitting on the couch for 10 hours and then you taking it all in and you ask me again in a couple of weeks and it's like, oh, that happened? Oh, I guess I missed that. Yeah, it's funny. I almost like, I don't know that they would ever do this, but I, I would almost like wish they would take it one step further and you know, essentially like, cause right now they premiere episodes on like midnight on Thursday night. And so the problem is that by the time you wake up on a Friday, if you hadn't already seen it on Thursday night, then there's already people who have watched it. So like, I almost wish they would premiere it at like 8 PM on a Sunday, like, which is traditionally when we've had, you know, like big, you know, game of Thrones type of shows that aired. And so that, just everyone was sort of watching it more even at the same time uh, to get even more of that water cooler discussion. Cause I feel like for me, 
I've been sort of watching it like after work or like in the evening on Fridays. Um, and I, but I feel like all day Friday, I have to avoid spoilers just to watch it on like the first actual night that it's available. Oh yeah. You have to be a, a very, um, Oh, what's the word for it? I you, you just have to be very uh, astute to what you're looking at when it comes out. Because if you go to any of the um, pop websites uh, or you know even just the normal entertainment ones, it's very hard for them not to have spoilers right in the main headlines. So it's almost like you have to uh, avoid the normal entertainment websites you go to, uh, so you don't ruin it for yourself. Yeah, so so Disney, if you're listening to this, premiere your shows on 8 p.m. on Sundays. Uh, a lot of people will be very upset with you, but Brian and I will be very happy. And Danny has spoken. Yes. Uh, all right, well, so wait, how many episodes of, of WandaVision are left? Just one episode? Uh, two? two, I believe. All right, wow, so nearing the end. So I'll be excited to see uh, how it ends. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's move on to I, I also just want to like really quickly mention we're recording this on a Tuesday evening. Um, so just later tonight, I'm guessing both Brian and I will be watching uh, the premiere of Superman and Lois on the CW. Very excited for that. Um, but Brian just wanted to, to see uh, what your early thoughts are before you've seen it. Uh, yeah, so as we're, we're recording this, uh, we're on the West Coast, so we still have a couple hours before it starts. Um, I got it, 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 honestly, when I saw the um, teaser for it, I thought, oh, okay, this seems, uh, you know, a little bit more soapy than we're used to. Uh, but they also had a lot of scenes where it um, looks like uh, Clark has uh, some uh, big uh, kind of... Uh, uh, philosophical or ethical um, uh, conundrums that uh, he's going to encounter uh, because he's uh, raising uh, two uh, teenage uh, sons now, and it, it'll uh, it's definitely a departure from the normal uh, comics. But I'm excited. I think it it could have a lot of promise, and it's not from the uh, you know our. The Adventures of uh, Superman uh, back in the 90s, which was fun. And I guess you can kind of revere that back in sort of like a cheesy way. But uh, this is a new one and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I think I probably saw some of the early trailers, like you said, and wasn't sure what to think. But and also maybe just, you know, there's so many CW uh, shows that, um, or so many CW DC shows that uh, it just sometimes feels like too much. But I will say in the last couple of weeks, I've been getting pretty hyped up just because um, I follow a lot of people on Twitter who have been working on the show. And a lot of them are like really legit Superman fans. There's this one guy, um, if, you, if, you're, if anyone listening is kind of active on Twitter and is into the entertainment industry you may have seen this guy called uh, the bitter script reader um who you know for a long time was sort of uh he would talk about writing and um like he was a really interesting like critic of tv um but he's kind of in the last i guess several months he actually like it was kind of funny like he revealed his identity for the first time 
um, just because he knew he wanted to talk about the fact that he had gotten hired to work on Superman and Lois, which was like, it's like his first real um, full writing job for TV. And so as someone who followed him for a long time, it was like really exciting because I almost felt like I knew this guy and had followed his career. And I know from following him that he's like a really big Superman fan. He grew up on all the same like 90s Superman comics that I loved as a kid um, and growing up. And so I can just tell that there's some really passionate people working on the show. So it makes me feel good about like where it might go in the in the weeks and months ahead. Oh, that no, that's great to hear that there's a it makes a world of difference when you have people that are uh, truly invested uh, in the characters and they're just and it's uh, and they really understand where they cut where they've come uh, from. Uh, so that's no, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it should be interesting. I feel like it's yeah, the CW shows, a lot of them have been on a pretty extended hiatus for a while. So it's been quite a while since we got new episodes of like The Flash or Supergirl. Um, so it's funny, I feel like there was a period at some point, I don't know even when this was at this point, like 2019, early 2020, where it just felt like I was kind of a little burnt out in some of those shows, but now it's been so long. I'm like, all right, I'm ready for some DC Comics TV shows. <laughs> bring on the Flash, bring on Stargirl. Yeah. Because um, like uh, Black Lightning, that just uh, came back. And unfortunately, this is its last season. And I thought of the most recent years, that was probably one of the much uh, stronger shows they had. Uh, that and probably Legends of Tomorrow are probably my top two favorites. Uh, Flash, I, I enjoyed the first couple seasons, but then it just kind of, I don't know, it, it just went downhill for me. It, but granted, saying that, I'm still, you know, I have yet to miss an episode. So, and that comes back next week, I believe. Nice. Um, yeah, it should be it should be exciting. Um, and yeah, I can't wait for Stargirl too, because I was a huge fan of, season one as i've talked about um i wanted to uh just mention one other topic that i thought was interesting from this week this was a very uh controversial or hot topic on uh on social media this week um but i thought it was interesting um basically like brian i'll give you the kind of quick summary um so martin scorsese i feel like you know he uh is sort of this like you know, very respected elder statesman of, of film, you know, he he's very respected. People always listen to what he has to say. Sometimes I think he can make statements that maybe rub people a little the wrong way because, you know, he's talked about how he wants film to be, to be sort of appreciated as an art form. And he kind of misses the days of, you know, the 70s when there were all kinds of like experimental um, and very like artistic films that were more in the mainstream versus now, obviously the mainstream has been very much dominated by the big 10 pole blockbusters and stuff like that. Um, and so I know people, you know, felt in the past like, Oh, he's being dismissive of the Marvel movies or, or whatever. And so there's been this kind of history of in recent years of Scorsese making some comments that are usually pretty, I would say well-intentioned, but sometimes people take them a little, out of context or just, you know, kind of question where he's coming from a little bit. But in any case, um, he wrote this really good article for, I, I think it was 
Harper's Magazine this past week that a lot of people were talking about where the article was actually, the point of it was to be like a tribute to the film director uh, Fellini, who was, you know, this big kind of Italian director who um, made a lot of just classic movies um, that then influenced like kind of the, the generation of Scorsese. And Scorsese was kind of just paying tribute to him but in doing so, he there was like this one paragraph in the article where he kind of lamented the fact that, you know, today people don't know enough about Fellini. And he sort of looked at the big streaming services and other places and said, like, there should be more curation of the classic movies where, you know, if you go on Netflix or Amazon today, it's just sort of this endless list of movies. But there's not really like a big editorial voice. It's like, here's the classics that you should really watch or like here's the you know um the great directors you should check out it's all sort of just jumbled together and you know some random reality tv show is sitting right next to some classic movie and so scorsese was kind of lamenting that but then it started this whole firestorm conversation of like some people were like well you know older movies were racist or sexist or why should we even care about them um and some people were sort of saying, like, it's elitist to, to try and get people to watch more old movies. You know, maybe, uh, like, who's to say that those have any more value than modern movies? But I, I just thought it was kind of very taken out of context. And I thought he made a good point that there's not enough being done today to kind of curate um, and make sure people are watching great movies on these services. Um, a lot of it is just very algorithm-driven stuff like that. Um, and it's not to say that like, it should only be curated by the taste of like, uh, you know, 75 year old white male director. Um, you know, there's ways to curate it for all different kinds of uh, content and movies. But uh, yeah, I was just curious, just cause I know we've watched some like classic movies together and stuff like that. I mean, um, do you think there's value in like younger people going back and finding some of the classic movies? Oh, absolutely. Whether you want to go from Citizen Kane to The Godfather to Back to the Future to uh, the uh, cult classic Miami Connection, um, it's, uh, it, it, there's a reason why all of these movies have built upon their predecessors. And, you know, from everything from dialogue to camera shots, it's something that uh, we I should have uh, preserved. And it's and it's hard on these streaming services because you go on there and it's just like it's a Thanksgiving meal and you don't know uh, where to start. So, uh, yeah, it's it's important to uh, remember the past because that can help shape the current and future uh, films. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know uh, you and I are both big fans of uh, The Twilight Zone. And I always think of that as sort of this one example where, you know, every year. Uh, I, th I think we both have a similar tradition of like watching Twilight Zone episodes around New Year's when they do all the, the marathons on TV and whatnot. And I feel like every year I watch that show, which is, you know, from kind of the early 60s. And I'm always like, wow, it's incredible how relevant it still is. Um, and how, yes, I mean, there are some things about it that are of the time, but there's still so much to learn from that show. And it's still so, it's still something that I feel like anyone who, uh, is kind of um, getting a, a, a like a education about the best ever TV shows should watch. 
So to me to say that like you shouldn't watch anything that's older is a little ridiculous. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's a great example because the lessons that are learned uh, from a show from the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, uh, still uh, apply today. And uh, in, you can even uh, look at comedies, uh, you know, like I Love uh, Lucy. And, uh, and, you know, even though it was meant for those times, it was still uh, very uh, interesting. So, because, I mean, something like that, when Lucy became pregnant, that way it's like the, oh my gosh, what uh, what's happening on uh, there? But it's just, it, it's just, it's very interesting to see how, uh, how we, it, it, um, what's the saying that uh, as much as uh, things uh, change, they stay the same, something close to that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do you think that's saying, yes. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere <laughs> uh but yeah i mean it is interesting i just feel like sometimes people uh in recent years kind of take a lot of these kinds of comments out of context and to me it's like it's like i guess you could say maybe at some point like oh you know there's certain uh schools of thought that are elitist like oh if you're only teaching the works of you know particular directors that, and you're not teaching the works of like diverse directors or um, things like that, then yeah, that could be elitist or sort of gatekeeping. But just to make a general statement that everything before 1975 is not worth watching, that seems a little silly. Um, and, and obviously there are some movies that have not aged well at all and maybe were regarded as classics, but you know, uh, don't really stand the test of time looking back. But I think there's plenty of other films and TV shows that do stand the test of time. And there's so much you can learn from them. And, you know, even like, for example, going back to The Twilight Zone, um, there's a lot of shows today that take so long to tell their stories. So forgetting even like the thematic content, but just from like a structural standpoint, so many shows now just drag things out for so long. The Twilight Zone gives you like a memorable story that's totally self-contained in 22 minutes, which I think is kind of a lost art form in TV that we can learn from. Oh, absolutely. And I think for um, like anyone who's going to film school or television school, it, I can't imagine that there is, that you're not required to take classes today to watch uh, these, um, uh, these classic uh, films. And as for dragging uh, uh, the season out, I it, it's sad, but I think it's just the economics of uh, today that you need, uh, or at least for the linear TV, that you need to you know have the twenty two episodes a year, um, just because they need to be able to sell all those episodes to different countries and they need to make their money back when a, when actual uh, actually probably most or the the best recent tv whether it's on basic cable or streaming or pay cable you're 10 episodes and you have a solid complete story there's a little room for filler and uh you move on yeah i mean i think um i stopped people make a good point um i forget who said this maybe it was scorsese i forget but just the idea that you know sharing sort of your favorites is kind of a 
uh, one of the most rewarding things about being a movie fan or a TV fan. And that if, if you know, it, it would be a sad world if everyone was sort of in their own bubble and didn't have some some people to look to to like recommend, you know, things that are good or, um, you know, I mean, t without that, I mean, what's the point of being a movie fan, I guess? Yeah, I completely agree. Nice. So um, we're going to come back in just a minute and we're going to talk specifically about DC Comics Future State. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into that. Um, so stick around and we will be right back after this. And we are back on the all-new, all-awesome podcast with, with special guest Ryan Grabo, uh, former NBC Page entertainment industry professional, movie and TV expert, uh, super uh, knowledgeable about all things comic books and uh, sci-fi. And so, Brian, let's talk about DC Comics Future State. Let's do it. Well, thank you for all those accolades. I don't know if I deserve them. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I guess I, I think I've talked a little bit about DC Future State on the podcast, but I guess to sum up and feel free to jump in, but basically uh, DC is sort of um, trying to start all of its comics with like a, a clean slate, a bit of a clean slate um, this coming March. And so they had this big event that ran through a lot of last year and into this year called uh, Death Metal. It was sort of this big world ending event and that ended and it sort of led into Future State, which is uh, there's now this idea of this DC Comics Omniverse where like every story has happened and there's all different timelines and anything that we've ever read in a comic book exists somewhere within this Omniverse where every story happened in some fashion. And so to sort of, I guess, set the stage for that, um, DC has this event called Future State where they're not publishing any of the regular comics. Um, they haven't been publishing them for the past few months. And they've instead been publishing these special Future State comics that each take place in like a different, um, some different future version of the DC universe. And they're all like somewhat interconnected, but there's also kind of different um, like clusters of comics that are part of this. So for example, all of the Batman related comics for the most part are taking place in this near future, like several years ahead of where we laugh, last left our heroes, where it's almost this kind of cyberpunk type of dystopia uh, where this evil organization called the Magistrate runs Gotham City and they're arresting all the superheroes and all the heroes are outlaws and Bruce Wayne is missing. And it's like this whole Blade Runner version of Batman um, versus all the Superman comics are in a bit of the uh, further future where Superman's son, Jonathan Kent, is now grown up and is Superman um, and is kind of fighting his own battles and is part of this new Justice League that consists of a lot of like newer heroes or like offspring of heroes, things like that. Um, and then there's some comics that are in like a far, far future, thousands of years in the future. So it's all these different ideas of the future. Um, and I think the idea is 
that in totality, all of these comics are planting different seeds for what's to come in March when the normal DC comics resume. So like we're seeing some new heroes appear who will start to learn more about how they first became heroes or start to see like concepts that were introduced in Future State, um, you know, show up in the regular DC universe. But it's all like a lot, like there's a lot of these different Future State books. It's a lot to like wrap your arms around. And so I thought what we could do is kind of just talk about our favorite Future State books because there may be a lot and like people may not realize which ones they should be reading, which ones are kind of the best of the bunch. So I thought we could talk about like which uh, which ones have been our favorite so far and what we've generally liked about Future State. So I guess, Brian, a question for you is like, we're going to talk about our three favorite um, books from Future State, but you have any like honorable mentions or just random shout outs before we get into that? I I just think overall or throughout most of the books, the art has been uh, pretty spectacular. Um, and uh, you can feel free to jump in and uh, uh, name uh, some of the artists. But each one kind of has their own uh, unique uh, design to them. Uh, but uh, but more but more than uh, most of them. The art has been uh, really uh, standout. Um, as far as the stories go, that's another. Uh, that's something that's a little bit more questionable. Where there's only been a for me uh, only a handful, and we'll get into them uh, that have uh, really. When you're done reading them, even if there may be two issues or four issues, uh, that you're like, wow, this you know kind of really spoke to me. Whether it's uh, an allegory to what's happening in the real world. Uh, but uh, so the, it, that's kind of my overall take on it. But uh, we can dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I just mean, one think general observation is that um, there's a couple of like more established writers and artists that are on these books, like uh, Joshua Williamson, who's been doing a lot of DC stuff. Uh, he's um, been writing uh, like the Justice League book. Uh, you know, Ram V, who has been recently writing a couple of DC books, is writing um, a few of these. But there's also a lot of new talent that we haven't seen before. Um, both in terms of writers and artists. So like, I I've been excited to see a couple um, artists, for example, like there's an artist named uh, Jen Bartel, whose work I was familiar with, um, who's just an incredible, incredible artist. And she's been drawing the Wonder Woman Immortal book. And she has this very unique sort of um, painterly style. I don't know, it's hard to describe. Um, it's like this almost, uh, uh, watercolor type look to her uh, paint to her drawings that is really cool and so like there's been some really cool art and then there's there's just been some it's been interesting like even if not all the books work I think it do like a lot of new writers get a shot at the characters um, just because you know DC and I think this is true of like all superhero comics they tend to like have the same go-to writers that do end up doing a lot of books. And so this is at least shaking things up a little bit, getting some some fresh blood in there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and if you want to uh, uh, kick it off with uh, what, what's your uh, first one that you're digging? 
Well, here, let me just give some uh, honorable mentions because I've been reading a lot of these. Sure. And so there's a few that I just wanted to give a shout out to. Um, I'll just run through really quick and, and feel free to jump in like if you've liked any of these. But uh, I wanted to mention Robin Eternal, which has been like a fun kind of look at um, Tim Drake, who I've, I have always been a fan of that character since I grew up reading like his adventures as a third Robin. And so he had a long running comic book like when I was a kid and I always liked that character of Tim Drake. And I feel like these days he doesn't get as much attention. Um, and so this mini series kind of focused just on Tim Drake. And, and I thought that was cool. And um, there was some fun stuff done with the character. So I, I like that. Um, like I said, Wonder Woman Immortal, just this incredible art from Jen Bartel. So I would almost say it's worth reading for that alone. Um, Ram V is, is another writer I just mentioned who just does really solid work. And he had been writing the Justice League Dark comic book before Future State started and doing, I thought, like a really, really fantastic job with that. And he's, oh, he was also writing the Catwoman comic before this started. And so he's also been writing the Catwoman Future State book, which has been really fun. And then also writing the Justice League Dark backup story that's been kind of um, part of the over, of the bigger like Justice League Future State comic. And he's just become very quickly like a very uh, good writer who I've I become a fan of. So I've liked what he's been doing. I wanted to give a shout out to um, this, this uh, story called Batgirls that's been, uh, and just to give context, like a lot of these comic books are coming out and they have, um, like one main story and then a couple backup stories. And some of them have been hit or miss, but one of the backup stories that I've really liked is called Batgirls. That's been part of the, the next Batman comic, which I'm guessing we'll talk about in a minute. But um, the Batgirl story, it features uh, Cassandra Kane, who you might know from the Birds of Prey movie. Um, and then a character who a lot of people really like, uh, Stephanie Brown, AKA the spoiler who's sort of another character I really grew up with and have always been a fan of. And they're now sort of a bit older, a bit more grizzled in this comic. And um, they, they're they kind of having this team up. So I like that a lot. It's by a writer named uh, Vida Ayala, who I think has been doing some really good work lately as well. So those are just kind of my um, uh, shout outs. Oh, one other one I'll just say is, again, Joshua Williamson, who's been a very solid like go-to writer for dc uh he's been doing the justice league future state comic which has been interesting i think it's cool to see like this new team of a lot of like legacy characters like jonathan kent as superman and um you know these new versions of wonder woman and batman all kind of teaming up and seeing the the dynamic between them so so that's been cool um and those are my shout outs but um i guess brian like what's been your like of your three favorite, what's your first favorite? So I was actually going to jump on the immortal Wonder Woman uh, bandwagon, and it's not necessarily Diana's story because it's in she's it's interesting. She's kind of in this void, trying to find like her final purpose in life. But it's actually the next story within Immortal Wonder Woman with the new uh, Amazon uh, goddess. Her name is Nubia. Um, the writing for that has been fantastic. Uh, she's uh, trying to figure out uh, her way in the world. 
and there's uh, some uh, magic uh, that gets in the way. Um, I, I mean, feel free to uh, add in anything uh, to that one. But that one, I uh, I really enjoyed uh, the more the backup story to that one than the uh, main one with Diana. Nice. Yeah, I think it's been interesting. I mean, I think what one of the most interesting parts of Future State is that it's introducing a lot of new characters who we're sort of seeing like the future versions of. But when we get back to the main DC universe uh, in March, it seems like these characters are going to be introduced as kind of new, you know, just starting out characters. And so Nubia seems like one of those characters that will sort of be getting like a push within the main DC continuity soon, and which is cool. It seems like she has a lot of um, potential as a character. Absolutely. Um, and I'd say, uh, and just on a, another one is uh, Swamp Thing with the writer you were just talking about, uh, Ram V. Uh, that one's been great because uh, one, there's uh, certain pages that have this art that looks like it's taking it's uh it has taken a painstakingly long time to do but it's basically how swamp thing would recreate a human through what's known as the green which is through like plants and trees um but more so it's a story about um how swamp the swamp thing has like his own kind of group of people and how they are um being uh uh, basically uh, shunned to the side and they're being feared by humans because I'm assuming this one takes place in the far, far future. Uh, but they um, but, but uh, they eventually kind of make uh, peace with some of them. But within his own uh, Swamp Thing's own ranks, he even has uh, what ones that are against what he's trying to um, unite uh, humans and the green, so to speak. Yeah, no, actually, I forgot to mention that in my shout outs, but um, I have been enjoying that one too. And like I said, Ram V has been a, uh, a really good uh, sort of addition to the DC stable. And I, and I love, I mean, Swamp Thing is one of my favorite DC characters ever since uh, when I was probably a teenager and I read the, um, the original Alan Moore Swamp Thing run from the 80s and, and, uh, and early 90s. And um, I, I was such a fan of it, and um, it's always cool to see DC do stuff with Swamp Thing. So I believe they're they're also going to do a new Swamp Thing series after Future State ends. So I'm, I'm definitely excited for that. Oh, that's great! So what uh, what what are uh, what's uh, what are some of your favorites? Well, so did you have was, were those two of your three picks? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, uh, my uh, last one was actually uh, Robin Eternal. I liked it because it was a uh, a short story, but it was uh, um, a, but I enjoyed the art in it and him and uh, Spoiler uh, teaming up to try and take down the magistrate. It was it's just a, a it was a fun one off, but it, it gave you uh, it gave you a, a, a lot, and it didn't have to go on for uh, twelve issues. Yeah, no, I, I liked it, um, and it was, I man, I hope that they still do something with Tim Drake after this is over, um, because I know they have a new Robin comic coming out that stars Damien, a.k.a. Bruce Wayne's son, um, but I, I'm not sure, like, where Tim Drake fits into everything after um, Future State, so, again, I just have always thought he was a great character, so I hope they 
continue to do stuff with him after this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, so that's interesting because I had three completely different picks for my top three. Um, I, that's good. Yeah, though. I liked, I mean, I liked all the ones that you mentioned. So, um, but you know, so my number, uh, well, I'll start with my number one pick, I guess, which I was not expecting per se, but my favorite future state comic has actually been uh, Batman Dark Detective. And I think it speaks to overall, I've liked the Batman stuff the best of Future State because it does feel like a pretty well thought through universe that they created. Like some of the other Future State stuff feels just kind of one off and like um, not really interconnected to anything else. Um, but all the Batman books have formed like a pretty cool tapestry um, to the point where I just saw the other day that I think after Future State, they're going to do a future state Batman ongoing comic book. That's going to pick up a lot of the threads from these miniseries that they've been doing, which is kind of cool. Um, but it speaks to, I think they've created like this really interesting vibe of like Batman in this kind of cyberpunk world. Um, but in Batman dark detective, it's one of a couple of Batman books that have been part of future state. And this one is all about Bruce Wayne specifically, who is believed to be dead by most people in this storyline. Um, but this sort of tells the story of um, how Bruce Wayne almost died, but then has actually been living kind of in secret and off the grid um, for a while since then. Um, and it has this amazing art by this artist, uh, Dan Mora, who I don't think I was super familiar with um, before this, but he really is like the perfect artist for this kind of like cyberpunk type of, of world um and it's just very like cool vivid atmospheric art very evocative of stuff like uh, blade runner and then um the writer of it uh, mariko tamaki um i I've, I've liked recently she's been doing wonder woman uh, prior to future state and she seems it's like a really interesting writer um who uh is good at sort of setting up like cool action and creating like a good vibe to her comics. So this has actually been my favorite future state comic to date, I would say. Um, I don't know, Brian, have you been reading it or? Oh yeah, no, it, it, Dark Detective has been great. I guess my only kind of question or uh, qualm uh, with it is that, you know, Bruce Wayne is this, you know, billionaire uh, uh, playboy who is, you know, known throughout the world uh, but somehow the people who he's found shelter with uh, don't recognize him, uh, which I think is uh, kind of funny. Um, it, but um, it's just, it, but what I like about it the most is that he doesn't have like, any of his gadgets. He has nothing, which kind of goes back be, uh, to before they started Future State. Uh, they left it where Bruce has nothing. He doesn't have his manor. He doesn't have his back cave. He has nothing. So it's very interesting to see how he's taking on uh, the magistrate, basically just using his wits and, you know, whatever things he can kind of uh, scrape together. Yeah. So, um, um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I guess in fairness, like if Jeff Bezos, you know, washed up out of the river and like, you know, some random person had to help him survive. They may not know it's Jeff Bezos. 
That's possible. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so I've been enjoying that one. And then actually my second pick is um, the next Batman, which has been the one that's been written by John Ridley, who's a, you know an acclaimed uh, screenwriter who's now been doing a bit more comic book work for DC. Um, and, you know, I was really looking forward to this one. This is the comic I think that had the most hype going into Future State because of John Ridley and because of kind of the mystery of like, who was this character that took over from Bruce Wayne as Batman following his presumed death. And it turns out the character is uh, someone we haven't really seen before in modern comics named uh, Jace Fox, who's one of the sons of Lucius Fox and a different son of Lucius Fox, um, uh, Luke Fox was like this hero called Batwing for a long time. Um, but now this other character of Jace is sort of like the, the long lost, you know, son who's now returning to Gotham. And um, there's a bit of mystery, like you don't quite know yet from Future State, all of Jace's backstory. But I think Rid uh, John Ridley has done a really good job of just like setting up this interesting character in his world. And it does feel like there's a lot left to be said about the character, which I guess can be a bit frustrating. Um, just reading this miniseries, but it does seem like this is one of the characters that immediately following Future State, we're going to learn a lot more about and what his origin is. Um, so I feel like the, a really interesting groundwork has been laid for this new character to be introduced. And like I said, I just think all the whole trappings of like this post-apocalyptic or like dystopian Gotham, I guess, um, are really cool. So I've been enjoying that. Yeah, and I'd actually say I like that one almost a little bit more than I like uh, Dark Detective because there's a lot of uh, family drama. Like Jace is kind of the outcast of uh, the family, and uh, nobody kind of knows what his uh, side uh, job is. And uh, he's uh, just trying uh, to um, – it do justice, do what uh, Batman would do when he, uh, when he finds out um, what's happening with uh, a couple um, uh, people. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's just, it's, it'll be fascinating to see where they take uh, this uh, iteration of uh, Batman, but um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. I think you. actually this week they already came out with, um, there's like a digital series, called the I think it might be called the next or no it's called Batman's Second Son that sort of picks up on the story of Jace Fox in like the present day so I'll be curious to to check that out um and then nice. my my third pick is um one of the Superman books um which is called uh Superman Worlds of War um and it's by a writer Philip Kennedy Johnson who I don't think I was familiar with before this um, but it has also really great art by Mikkel Janin, who, you know, was, was really great during Tom King's run uh, writing Batman in the last few years um, and did some really great art for that. But um, this is sort of this really epic look at like uh, Clark Kent um, slash uh, Kal-El when he's kind of older. And he, too, similar to Bruce Wayne, like he's been missing from Earth and no one really knows what happened to him but he's actually been off sort of on War World, which is this alien planet 
uh, ruled by this evil guy named Mongol. And he's been trying to sort of free that world from Mongols, you know, uh, oppress, oppressive uh, regime, so to speak. So it's been like this pretty epic story where on one hand you have Superman off in space, like trying to liberate this alien world. But then you also see on Earth all these people who are sort of like, um, you know, looking up to Superman and, and it touches on like how he affected their lives and how they're sad that he's missing. Um, so it's like a really cool contrast and I've enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, and if you check out, uh, it, it, I mean, the story is really solid, but the art's great because it shows Superman basically in a, in you know, he's a uh, in a gladiator arena just trying to fend off, um, you know, one foe after another. And uh, it's uh, very interesting how he's... Um, trying to see the humanity in uh in these uh other beings that are trying to actively uh destroy him but it's not necessarily of their own uh accord uh but yeah no it's uh it's yeah really good. And I, I believe philip kennedy johnson is going to be doing some superman stuff after future state is over so i'll be really curious to to see how that goes um but yeah i mean it, it, it's going to be interesting after Future State. I mean, um, I feel like there's still a lot of unknowns about um, DC and like where they're headed and in, in, in terms of the long-term direction. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it will be interesting. Like if nothing else, we have some interesting new writers, new artists that are going to be on some of these books and it'll be, um, you know, fun to see them uh, kind of shape this new DC universe going forward. Yeah, and I think this two-month hiatus with all the future state books has has actually, to your point, been good to get uh, new writers and uh, to get a fresh take on uh, all these uh, characters. And uh, in over, in overall, future state I think has been a uh, a pretty uh, good success for them. Yeah, no, I mean, I think. Um... If, if you're a kind of a casual comics reader and you're looking to dive in, I'd say, yeah, check out some of the books we recommended. Go to your comic shop, go to a comicology and uh, download some books to your iPad or Kindle and uh, check it out. I think it's a lot of fun. Like it's fun to see these versions of the characters. Um, but yeah, thank you, Brian, for uh, joining. Uh, hopefully we'll do another one of these soon. Oh. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is uh, this has been fun, and it's uh, you know I love to talk about uh, all these things, whether it's uh, comics or movies or TV shows. It's uh, it's uh, nice. All to right, do. so uh, we'll definitely have Brian back for more episodes in the future. But hope you guys enjoyed. We'll be back next week with more. And uh, thank you again for listening. Thank you.